Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Michael Pollack, a leader in TCK Care and the founding director of Daraja. He is also the co-author of Third Culture Kids, Growing Up Among Worlds, the third edition, published in 2017. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you, Michelle. It's just great to be here with you. Could you talk a bit about your experience living overseas? What took you abroad? Where did you live? And what brought you back to the U.S.? My first experience with being abroad was as an eight-year-old, and my parents went to Kenya. My dad was doing pastoral care. My mom was teaching nurses, and then they wound up being dorm parents at an international school called Rift Valley Academy, and my dad taught local Bible college, and my siblings and I went to the Rift Valley Academy, and the elementary school was called Tichiswat, which means that little one's school. So that was the first, and there was three years. It was supposed to be longer, but circumstances changed. My parents moved back to the States, and he began to travel doing TCK work. My next time overseas, I lived for three months in South Africa doing work projects and kind of local community outreach. That was during apartheid, so that was a really interesting time. We were part of some, some reconciliation movement stuff. Then in second year of college, I spent three months in England, pretty much to meet up with a friend of mine who'd grown up in Tanzania. And then his plans changed. And uh, we did see each other some that summer, but we didn't work together. I worked in down in Cornwall. Uh, my next time overseas was back to Kenya. I was there three months. This time it was a senior in university and I was doing student teaching. And then I had an international studies cross-cultural minor so I spent a month living with the Maasai people in a manyara in a village. Came back to just loving that, having the student teaching, the culture time in the village, you know, the relationships there. Loved that. Expected to go overseas again soon. <laughs> Didn't until 2003, as far as, I mean, visiting, but not as far as living. In 2003, my, my wife and I and two kids moved to Tianjin, China. Uh, I was an elementary principal of uh, Tianjin International School. We were there for nine years, adopted our third child there and returned to the U.S., a totally new place for us um, in 2012. So you clearly have personal experience with third culture kids. Was it your own experience and your kids' experience that motivated you to get into working with third culture kids, families, and more? Yeah, absolutely. I had done some work with my father, first traveling with him as he visited international schools during high school. And again, really loved that, loved the connection for me as a TCK. I had, I had been a little bit starved for those TCK connections. I had some friends. I had a Air Force brat friend, close friend in, in high school. And then a couple other folks who had grown up, two sisters who'd grown up in Brazil and some other third culture, cross-cultural people. So 
it wasn't totally bereft, but Southern Vermont wasn't the most diverse place to go to high school. So going overseas, I went with my father to schools in Europe and Africa as he taught about third culture and transitions and all of that stuff. So really loved that and thought, okay, this is great. My student teaching overseas, I thought for sure, yeah, international schooling. And it just worked out differently than, you know, I, th- I thought, okay, graduate from college, get a couple years of experience, and then boom, I'll be somewhere else in the world. And uh, uh, I was in uh, Baltimore, Maryland for 12 years, and which was great and, and pretty diverse in its own way. But it took a while. But I think those influences, my, you know, my dad's work, my own experience, it's just really positive experience. I had student teaching and thinking, yeah, I also wanted my kids to have that kind of experience. And China was something completely new. All those things influenced the decision for sure. And over your 30 years of experience with working with TCKs, have you found that the issues that they face have changed? Michelle, that's a great question. And I think yes and no. You know, there's some core issues that have not changed. There remain the advantages, the wonderful gifts of growing up third culture with global perspective and some of the cross-cultural skills and adaptability. There's language learning. There's just perspectives when you get out of your own culture, like a fish, you know, that winds up on dry land and finds that it's healthy there. That fish can do that. And then is able to look back at the water and say, oh, water's like this. You know, sometimes when you were swimming in it, in culture, we don't really, we don't perceive it the same way. I think what's also the same are some of the challenges, identity, kind of the who am I from this mix of experiences and the complexities of those mixings seem to be increasing. It's always been there, you know, as cultures mixed and especially in various crossroad places in the world. But because of the ease of travel and because of a global economy and things like that, I think that's increasing. So the complexity is increasing. The issues of identity, of grief that comes out of loss is still the same. And the need to deal with that, to process it is still the same. I think with identity and and maybe even some of the loss issues, that issues of belonging, where do I belong? To whom do I belong? Will the people that I feel like I belong to, will they own me back or not? That's still a big question. And I believe that there's a, a fourth that's kind of key, but it's purpose. What do I, what do I do with all of this? And I think there's been some really good research done on purpose and purpose in life and how important it is as human beings to have a sense of purpose. Where am I going with my life? And I think that can really be thrown off with a third culture experience because, again, if I'm not sure exactly my identity and where I belong, then what do I do with all this? A friend of mine, she said, you know, after university or after high school, as we separate from our families, we have three main tasks, and that's to make a living and to make a life and then to make a difference. And I I love that. Those questions, though, can become complex for TCKs. More and more Americans are moving abroad. It's not just those moving to another country for work. There's more and more digital nomads, more and more people studying abroad and then staying, and more and more people who just want to live in another culture. So this means there are more and more TCKs. As the numbers grow, 
And as there are more reasons for why families move abroad, do you find that there are more issues TCKs and their parents are trying to manage? Are the challenges more complex? Yes, with some caveats there. You're right. I mean, the reasons for being cross-cultural and then for many, the mobility issues that come with that. Yes, there is a growing complexity. There's that ease of travel, all the incentives that are occurring around the world for digital nomads to come and work, the potential. I, I think that's one of the things COVID did, maybe both to us and for us a bit, is to underscore that we really do have the technology and the potential to be a, a very global work society. You can kind of be anywhere and do the work. My situation is less complex. We've made moves in the last two, oh, just about two years from Michigan to North Carolina to, to Virginia. And Virginia's temporary right now, so we're, kind of, we're nomadic right now. But it hasn't interrupted the work at all. That potential to kind of work from anywhere with a lot of things that we do, I think really makes it complex because some of the things that people are experiencing are the same. But as you alluded to before, there is a lot that has changed. The communications, our ability to, in air quotes, be in the same room with folks across the other side of the world. I regularly have meetings with colleagues, and the hardest thing is working out the time zones because we're U.S. and Canada and Korea and Spain and Australia and China and Brazil, but we do it. When in the history of the world has that been possible before? I think that one of the biggest challenges that is new is the higher mobility. There are a lot of people who are deciding to move very frequently. And while nomadic societies have existed for a long time, one of the things that I have noticed is different on a maybe a sociological level is that nomadic societies often take their community with them. There's it's either extended family or it's even larger than that. The age of digital nomads and, and highly mobile folks means often that it's just the immediate family group that's moving together or individuals. So I think the complexities of relationships, of having that sense of belonging, we're wired, right, for community. This is part of our, our hardwiring. So when that gets disrupted all the time, especially for kids during developmental years, I think that makes for some complex challenges. And do you find that TCKs and families who repatriate have any specific challenges? What are some of the issues parents face? Yeah, that's a big one. And that's often the one that comes up and smacks people when they're not expecting it. In the Third Culture Kids book, 2017, some of the research that I included that had really struck me was from, it was a study of Fortune 500 companies internationally. Where have we grown with kind of member care the human side of human resource. And there was a lot more that had been done for employees, for families, in terms of preparation for going overseas, in terms of or international support. I try to correct that because, right, overseas is a very easy nomer, but sometimes people are crossing borders and, and cultures without traveling over water. That's kind of obvious. And then there are a lot of folks who are changing 
cultures within political boundaries, not just subcultures, but let's say in the Indian or African context, you can change language and food and culture within the boundaries of the political. So I want to be clear about that. So there's a lot more that's done. What was found to be the weak link or the Achilles heel of transition was repatriation or reentry. And I think that that's still probably the weakest link. And so some of the challenges that people face are the unexpected differences. But I think it's easier now than it was 10, 20 years ago or longer when I was a kid changing cultures because global media, global culture, it's possible to kind of stay in touch. But we used to say for every year that you are out of your culture or out of your passport country, you're two years different than the folks you left behind. So you've gone a year in one direction. They've gone a year in another direction, different experiences and all of that. So in three years, I was overseas as a kid. There was six years of difference between us and the relationships, the family that we left behind. There was a lot more catch up than we expected. And what we see now, this has been interesting to see when people say, well, you know, our kids, they don't miss out on any culture. They're on the Internet all the time. They're on, on different social media with their friends. They don't need any transition. We find that that's absolutely not correct because online life is really different than feet on the ground place and culture. My daughter noticed this as we came back from China in 2012. My older kids were college age, and my youngest was right in the high school culture in Michigan. And she said the interesting thing was, even though there were some general things that were in common, it was the local things, right, that were very mm-hmm. different. When people asked, are you MSU or state? She was like, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> and there was great shock and surprise because in Michigan, you're either for Michigan State or you're for the University of Michigan. I think I even actually just messed up that acronym. I mean, but that's almost like a sin, you know, <laughs> it's like the un- unthinkable. It's those local context issues that are the hardest to deal with in their shock. Another big one is that parents often believe that they're going home and for them, they may, but they may also find that home is not quite home for them anymore. But for their kids, often the kids are leaving home. They're, you know, leaving home, the thing they've experienced as they've grown up for some vague or distorted ideas. When we were in China, we came back actually every year. Not not all the families did that, but we had special circumstance because of my work. And we came back every summer. My kids view of the U.S. was a bit distorted. We'd come back. They were feted. You know, there were parties. We call it like the Disneyland syndrome. The U.S. is just ice cream and parties and Fourth of July. And you're like, yeah, mm, it isn't always like that. That was a shock for them. Coming from a very international and broad perspective to a local context, some people use the term monocultural, but I like to say also geostable. It sounds less negative, but people may not have a broad context uh, view of the world just because they don't have the experience with it. And that can be a shock. My daughter would be surprised that people confused Japan and China. How could you do that? How could you think that samurai were from China? Like, that's ridiculous. And they were surprised that she didn't know college sports teams. 
One other shock can be that that difference with parents and kids. Not only is it not necessarily home for the kids, but they may not identify very strongly with that passport or home culture that the parents are comfortable in. It's sometimes easier to see the faults and to be kind of rebellious about that in the sense of like, I am not going to adjust to this. Look at what all that's wrong with it. I don't want to be this. Often when we do transition seminars, you will be more critical of your passport culture than some of the folks around you. However, if you treat it like a new culture that you're entering into, which for you, for many TCKs it is, then you can have some of the compassion and some of the curiosity that you had when you went into another culture. If you treat it with the same kind of courtesy and the same, hmm, I don't really know yet, I'm going to give it time, and knowing that the warts of your own culture, there's also the beautiful side. Without that help, without people walking alongside like that, it can be a real shock for the family, and parents can feel frustrated and sometimes even wondering if they've wrecked their kids' lives. Oh, no, my kids hate the passport culture. So reverse culture shock or reentry shock, as you were describing, is a real thing. What does it look like in families? What can be done to lessen their challenges and create shock absorbers? The things that I mentioned that are those some of those big shocks, big important part is to prepare before leaving. My dad did the raft when we were in Kenya, so it stands for Reconciliation, Affirmation, Farewells, and Think Destination. It's an acronym kind of simplified down to think about how to prepare well for transition. When I was working with a lot of TCKs across China, actually, I started working not only for the school in Tianjin, but our system had six schools. And the question was, how do we prepare you for to return to U.S., Canada, Britain, Korea, Singapore, all from here? And so I developed another tool that was called LEAP. So we did joke that I can get away from the four-letter acronym but it was to leverage and lean on, leverage your experiences, lean on your people, learn to express along the way. We've thought a lot about how important it is to identify your emotions and to express the things that you are feeling and thinking as you go through that process. A is for adapt. How do I adapt my, even my, my routines, as well as my expectations, as well as my cultural Not values, I almost said that, but my cultural mores, the things that are usual, right? So there's a lot that has to be adapted. And then the fourth was P is the verb to partner, to look for those connections. And there's different kinds of relationships that you can identify. And, you know, and that's a, that's a whole other seminar (laughs) to, you know, look at like anchor, uh, your anchor relationships, the ones that don't change. Look for the ones that are bridges, people who understand where you've been and where you're coming from, et cetera. And then folks in the culture who can kind of introduce you to the culture and introduce the culture to you. So those kinds of tools are really important. The preparation ahead, the process while you're in transition to recognize that there's definitely knowledge pieces to normalize. It doesn't make the difficulty go away, but to normalize the experience to say, okay, I'm not crazy and I'm not alone in this. A lot of other people have gone through this and these strong emotions or crazy dreams or health concerns that are suddenly out of proportion or a sense of lack of safety. Am I safe? What's safe here? Those are really normal parts of transition. 
then I believe that debriefing is super important. So to process where you've been and where you are now and, and what do you want to take forward with you and what maybe do you want to leave behind? When people debrief, think individually as a family, yes, is all good. And then TCKs, I think it's a great experience for them to be able to do some of that together because when a TCK or siblings join a group of 15, 20, 45 other TCKs coming from all over the place and recognize their similar experiences, even though the details are all different. It can be such an encouragement and then even a network of friendships to help them through. So I, I think those are some of the things. I think on the other side, too, we can do a much better job as organizations or corporations, military, missions, business, in being some of the shock absorber for families to welcome families back into the culture, again, be educated about what's normal, and to just avoid some of the basic things that are difficult. So asking TCK, where are you from, often is not helpful because it's a difficult question to answer. Learning to ask things like, tell me your background story, or not saying things like, hey, welcome home. Aren't you glad to be home? Boy, it must have been rough over there. And wherever it was. And sometimes it was rough. You know, kids coming back from NGO kind of situations in the Middle East, lots of places in the world that are difficult. And yet the welcome home thing may really stick in the craw of a TCK because they say, well, one, he's like, welcome home. I bet you're glad to be home. One, they don't feel like they're home. And two, they are not necessarily glad that's just kind of some specific hooks to hang on. But having the home community and having the home organizations or systems to be prepared for those families, that can be big. And do you find that the Internet and social media have presented different challenges for TCKs? Have there been any benefits for TCKs with evolving tech? Absolutely. I think that communications the ability to even to check in. The point that I realized, and I can't even put a finger on when that exactly was, but I realized I could read local papers in places where I had been and find out I didn't have to have it sifted through somebody else's, I don't know, prism, but I could get online and really find out what was happening from the perspective of places where I had been. That was huge. To be able to communicate and to reconnect with friends. My generation, I'm an Xer, often we'll say this with the TCK population, kind of laugh at ourselves a bit. Email was a new thing for us, right, in, in high school. And then when Facebook came on, it wasn't about, for us, TCKs in my gen, it wasn't really about showing off the best life that you have. It was about finding people that you had been friends with years ago, and suddenly their name pops up and you say, oh, my goodness, my buddy from Kenya in third grade, he lives 50 miles from here or whatever. There were just some fun mm -hmm. things. All of that, the communications, the ability to share information quickly, the ability to get in touch with folks, even questions of safety. When something happens in part of the world where you've been, you have people you care about, a war breaks out, a natural disaster happens. I hope they're OK. And to be able to get online and find out how people are doing, all of that is huge. That can come with a bit of a challenge as well. How many relationships can one really keep track of 
and invest in. And so what happens in high mobility when you have a lot of good friendships that are now global? And which ones do you invest in? How do you stay in touch? What do you do with your time? The struggle that I've seen a lot of TCKs have, especially in that university transition, when it's normal to drop into a university or college, even at like a military program or a gap year, and be really present because other people have been disrupted and they're making new friendship webs. If a TCK uses those great resources to stay in touch with all their other wonderful friends, they can miss that window. They can miss out on the time to reconnect. And maybe it's not only university time, but I think that question of when to be present and when to work on reconnecting, I've seen this as a pattern. I've worked with a number of TCKs at university level and seen the pattern that as they are easing up on their online relationships or saying, okay, this has been good. It's time to let go a little bit. By that time, it's sometimes November, December, or after the holiday break, then they're kind of standing in the cold because everybody else has made friend groups. Those are some of the challenges that I see. Not to just live an online life, but to be present. And how has technology helped with coaching and consulting TCKs? That's been fantastic. As I said with the meetings, the biggest challenge is the time zones. I debrief families all over the world. I'm able to coach and consult with folks that it'd just be very difficult without Zoom. And the, the auditory, like the phone things, that's a great link. But to be able to actually look someone in the eyes over technology, and jury's still out a little bit in the research that I'm reading about can people really connect and what are some of the downsides of Zoom life. I think we're still, as a global society, trying to figure out how that all works. At the same time, I have seen powerful things happen with online work. And that's my experience, but I also see it. I have a lot of colleagues who do similar work. And when we can go and be with people, that's the best, of course. But there are a lot of times when we can't, and it's a great tool. And let's chat about Daraja. Could you explain to our listeners what it is and what its mission is? Daraja is the Swahili word for bridge, or it also means stepping stones. And if you look it up, it's a word that came into Swahili partly through the Arabic. There are some other meanings. This is the Swahili meaning as I came across it in Kenya. And the intention was particularly for young adult TCKs in that high school to college to adulting life, you know, post-college or post-military or post-gap time. The goal was to walk with them, give them resources, do the coaching, and help them to make those transitions. Because that was a very weak link in the transition story. Even the things that were there for families, oftentimes those other pieces got mixed. And these young adult TCKs were expected just to to figure it out. They say resilience isn't natural. Resilience isn't inborn. It comes from successfully navigating difficult situations. And how do we do that? Often with support. And TCKs, because of some of their maturity and their experiences with doing things on their own that just, I don't know, maybe unthinkable to others, like flew across the world and then I took trains and I did it by myself because I needed to and it was fun. The question of how do I do an interview and how do I get it 
job can be really daunting. How do I taxes? What taxes? Just basic things of life. Medical insurance, how do I do that? So it was some of the practical things, but also for the psychological, sociological kinds of things and the spiritual side as well. So just bridging and walking with them. As we got more experience, I also found that there were a lot of other folks who wanted to do TCK care, didn't do it well, and were asking questions. And so I began to do coaching and consulting with other groups that were doing member care or HR people, international schools. I was just able to do a talk for a UN affiliate group. And that's a love, you know, to be able to bridge some of that and to be stepping stones across how do we care well for TCKs and their families. Diraja offers coaching, consulting, and workshop leadership for TCKs, their families, caregivers, and then you have the educators, coaches, HR, and member care. Could you dive a bit into each of these services? I would say in a nutshell that my coaching training is all client-based. Where does the client want to go? How do you ask and walk through powerful questions to open up perspectives? And then, you know, there's really a belief for the most part that people have solutions within them and you're drawing them out. I found that with my work also, there are places where I'll put on a mentoring hat, but I'll always ask the client, say, hey, it sounds like you're asking a mentoring question. Would you like it if I take out the coaching hat, put on the mentoring hat and give you some input? And if the person says, yeah, that's what I'm really looking for right now, we do that. So that's very client oriented. The same with the consulting, really. It's asking the client, where do you want to go and what do you want to accomplish? What are the weak link areas that you'd like to strengthen in your care? When I talk about care, the implications are huge. Let's say you're in an international business and you're like, okay, care, care for families. That sounds good. It's sort of a soft thing. Like we're bottom line people. Well, (laughs) the research says if you don't care for your families, they're often not going to have a successful transition out and back and the cost to an organization are huge. Some years ago, it was estimated at about a quarter of a million dollars that it costs an organization if a family were to fail. And the biggest reason for failure was unhappy marriage and children, and often those were transition issues. There really is a strong bottom line. I heard a recent number that said 350000 it costs an organization or company. Whichever those numbers are, the bottom line is it pays to take care of your people. I think you you do it just because it's the right thing to do. Secondary impact is that it makes a difference. We're able to step in and say, well, what do you have going now? Do you need to do kind of an assessment? If you've done an assessment and you know what your key goals are and you're not sure how to get there, let's work through that. Workshop leadership is when there's a specific issue for instance, the transition tools. So I've done Raft and Leap for a number of different places. I've just done a series for several conferences on self-care for the caregiver. So whether you're a teacher, a school counselor, you are an HR person, etc. you know, even coaches, there's a lot of output, especially we watch this through COVID. There's a tendency because the needs are so high towards burnout and discouragement. And so my basic statement is self-care is not selfish. It's actually stewardship. 
and it's smart. I've done a number of workshops there. So it's kind of specific. If I'm approached and people say, hey, we need a transition workshop for our seniors from the international school or maybe seniors and juniors. Yeah, boom, we can do that. Hey, we have teachers who are trying to get to know their TCKs. They want to know what are some of the different aspects of education for their culture kids. What are some things you need to keep in mind? Yeah, we can do that. So it can be very personalized to the need. Is there anything coming up for Daraja in 2023 that you'd like to highlight? Yes, there are some things that are invitations that I have. Uh, I'll be working with some adult TCKs in Canada. They call it a wilderness reboot. And Daraja's not running it. I'm coming alongside and uh, helping to lead that group. I think that's important because we're seeing really powerful impact with doing a nature-based or an adventure-based program. It allows for space and places where a group gets to really bond quickly and then really process some deep stuff. We did that while we were in China with high school TCKs. We're looking for ways to expand that. We do a lot of, with Daraja, we do a lot of collaborations. So there are a couple that are coming. One is a group that really Daraja helped to originate is this TCK care globally. We're all over the world dealing with different issues, but finding some real commonalities. In October, there's going to be, there have been similar conferences, but this is the first, I believe, that is focused just on third culture kids globally. That's going to be in, um, in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Other things that we're, we're working on some video projects, um, so that we can multiply some impact and resources. And then there is a coaches group that I've been working on with two third culture coaches. And we're not exactly sure the shape of it, but the need that we saw was that a lot of us are out there. We're kind of maybe siloed a bit from each other. And there are some groups. One resource is Families in Global Transition, FIGT. And that group created a group for counselors and coaches to work together and discuss. But we want to create a community of coaches that are specifically their culture coaches. We're seeing the numbers increase. We're seeing the need increase. Or maybe the need's always been there, but we're starting to meet the need. And so we're looking for folks who are have their chops. They've not only been certified, but they have some years experience or the, the hours and and are definitely third culture oriented. Yeah, so those are some of the things coming up. I'm working on the fourth edition of the TCK book with Ruth Van Rieken. We just saw a need to, again, to bring it up to date. Again, there's so many changes that are happening. In the third edition, we tried to really globalize it. But some of the feedback that we've gotten is, yeah, it's better, but there are a bunch of perspectives that are still not represented. One area we're digging into is that of folks who are globally mobile and cross-cultural, but not by choice. We're seeing climate refugees. We're seeing other forms of refugees and people migrating. And again, this has been true all through the world's history, but there's an intensity now that's been picking up. And while the children of refugees have not been considered traditional TCKs, there's a group of us that feel that and then this is definitely part of my thinking that 
many of them are really having a third culture experience. And I won't go into some of the sociological issues, but the point is for practitioners, not so much researchers, but for practitioners, we're saying, yeah, we need to share this. So there's some projects afoot to collaborate with immigrant refugee services and bring some of the training. Wow, that all sounds really great. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Just that I love that I have met you all. The group I work with, their focus on UN families, your focus on Americans abroad. Those are those are super important because there are nuances. It is different to come back from overseas to the US. I'll just say, without getting political, I'll just say the things that have been happening in the U.S. maybe for the past six, seven years have really impacted TCK. So having a a knowledge of a local context, even if it's a national context, that's really helpful. And at the same time, there's so much we can learn from each other. There's a group called CAPRO. It's actually a missions group out of Nigeria. Oh, my goodness, I'm learning so much from their representatives about what folks in the African diaspora and African DCKs you know, go through. And there's so much to learn and grow. So I think that there's an important place for local context to be connected to to global networks as well in the third culture, because, again, we can share so much with each other. We can learn so much from each other. We can co-mentor. And as I see some of those connections happening. I'm really excited about it. Thanks for allowing me to share. Oh, we're very happy to have met you as well. Thank you very much for chatting with us today. Absolutely. Love to come back and spend time as as issues come up. There's new things all the time that we're learning and talking through. Great to be here. Thank you. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.